Welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. You should know that this episode was also recorded in video and can be watched on our website at theundrapedartist.com and also on YouTube at the Undraped Artist Podcast. Also, check out our show notes to learn more about today's guest. I hope you enjoy the show. Kwong Ho, welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. It's good to have you. Oh, it's great to see you, Jeff. It's an honor for me to, to be on here to talk to you. Oh, I'm really glad. It's my honor. It's my honor. So I first of all, I want to start the conversation by asking a little bit about your history. How did you get started in art? Um, and and um, just your past in general. Where did you come from and what led you to where you are today? Well, the, the history, my history coming to America, that is a, that's a long story. I don't think you have enough time. Well, for just, just give but us I, the I reasonably came, abbreviated version. Sure. I, uh, I came to America when I was uh, 11 years old, didn't know any English, left Vietnam the day before Saigon fell. And uh, with my single mother and eight little kids, and I was the oldest boy, so you can imagine all the other kids are nine months and 10 minutes apart, as they say, you know. And uh, we came to America. We were sponsored by the First Reformed Church and settled in Denver. That's a Dutch Reformed Church. So I just uh, grew up going to school, not, not knowing English for the first year and a half or so. So I, I sat and drew all day while my, my classmates were, um, you know, doing the homework. And so that, that gave me a lot of, uh, I was driven to really learn English. I was very frustrated not, be, not being able to speak the language. So I worked hard at that. And, uh, but I, you know, as far as art goes, I've been drawing since I was four years old and I was always the best kid, best artist in class, you know, that sort of thing. And when I came to America, the interesting thing was in Vietnam, we didn't have much in the way of art supplies. The schools didn't have that. So I used to draw on line paper with a big pen, you know, and I came over here. Of course, the classes are full of amazing art supplies in the, in the closet. So, um, that was an amazing thing for me. And um, so I went to, in high school, uh, I, I, my art class was, was really great. My teacher just let me do whatever I wanted to do. But he didn't, he couldn't teach me much because he didn't know, even though he was a master's uh, degree, I asked him, you know, how, how, do you, how do you shade something? And he didn't even know anything about light and shadow or anything like that, mm. you know. So he didn't, he said, well, that's just something you learn as you go along. Hmm. I realized that a lot of uh, the school at, back then, there was there was very little instruction as far as art goes. You know, we're very lucky today. But anyway, um, I had my first solo show uh, as a sophomore in high school at a, a local gallery called Tomorrow's Masters because I was walking around uh, buying candy bar next to this new gallery that opened up in my little neighborhood, right? And it's called Tomorrow's Masters. I walking around, the man said, uh, um, do, you know, do you like the art? And I said, well, I draw, I, I like art. And he said, well, bring your work in, I'll show, I'll, I'll take a look. So I just had pen and ink drawings and some watercolors and, and he gave me a, a solo show. Nothing was more than $125, you know, but, but at the time I was- um, What year would this have been? Washing dishes. 
1980. Okay. I graduated in 82 in high school. But um, so at the time I was working as a dishwasher for three fifty an hour. That was minimum wage back then. So I, I sold a bunch of work and I felt so rich and I, I hid all my money. <laughs> I saved every dime. Um, I was very frugal, you know, and then, and then in my senior year, I, I, I had uh, a scholarship uh, by winning the, uh, do you remember the Scholastic Art, Art Awards competition in high school? No, I don't. I was called, I was called the Scholastics and I, I had um, sent in a portfolio and I'd won a Gold Key Award and a Portfolio Award, which allowed me to choose from a bunch of different um, art schools around the country that would give you a scholarship. And I chose because it's a long story, like I said, because my mom had passed away when I um, was a senior in high school, when I was graduating. So I became like the parents, you know, the guardian to my younger brother and sisters. Um, so I, I knew I didn't have four years to spend in school. So I took the shortest route and the most secure way to, to make a living as an artist. I didn't know how to make a living as an artist, but I never doubted it. That's what I wanted to do. And that, uh, so I went to the Colorado Institute of Art, which is a commercial art school. And they offered me half tuition, whereas Denver University and a number of other schools offered me full tuition, but I, I just couldn't do that. Um, as it turns out, that was the best decision I could have made because I, I met my mentor there. His name is Renny Bruin. He was a, a gypsy from New York City, hmm. and um, he, he had an amazing story. But he, he started learning to paint at the age of 35, self-taught, and he gave me a set of vocabulary that I, I now teach and give back to to all the students that I, I um, it, it's really amazing. We'll get into that a little bit, but uh, his name is Rennie Bruin and he, he recognized that I was the hot shot of the art school. I could draw very well, but he destroyed me. Um, <laughs> I never had him in class the first year, but he, he, he would come in and look over my shoulder, go away. And he destroyed and humbled me and taught me so much in one class. And I'll tell you what it is. I was in a figure model class, you know, you'd paint the model all day, three hours. And he, uh, he would come in and he, he looks like Karl Marx with a big nose and his mustache and, and his vest. And he would look over my shoulder and he goes, what the hell are you doing? And <laughs> I'm like, uh, I'm just, I'm just painting the model. And he, he sniffed and he left three hours later. And here I am, you're getting perfect drawing down, doing the shading and everything. Get, get all the forms correct. Mm -hmm. He came in with five minutes left and he, he looked at it and he goes, hmm. And he pushed me aside, takes my brush, he says, here. And he obliterated everything I did in that three hours. And, and, and in five minutes, he, he handed me back the brush. My jaw is on the ground. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Really? It was like, in five minutes. What? in five minutes he obliterated everything i did well he never told me what he did until i i realized what he did to that piece maybe months later when i actually had him in class and he taught me light and shadow so what what happened there was that i was painting 
what I thought the model looked like without understanding what the light was doing. You know, now that's very basic information for any student who's learning to draw. But back then, nobody taught me that. At all. He didn't explain it to me. So he simplified everything to this context. He simplified the context of the model to the, the light shadow. And that's all he did. He simplified it. He, and, 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 and it was so beautiful and painterly, you know. And so it, um, I realized that this man knew something. And after that, no matter what project I was working on, I would take it to Rennie, and he could always diagnose what was wrong with it. And it could be light and shadow, it could be local tone, it could be graphic, it could be, he understood it so well. He understood painting so well that to this day, Jeff, I have not met another artist or read anyone that understood it as well as he did. Really? And uh, that's so, quite a statement right there. That's incredible. Yeah, it really is. And I could, I could, I could talk to you a little bit more about that as we go on. But he basically uh, gave me a set of vocabulary that I've never heard before. And he said that basically painting is just five basic visual elements, line shapes, value, color, texture, and edges. The, the shapes is all those you know, line, value, color, texture, and edges. They all go to make shapes. You create shapes with them. And then he gave me what's called the eight visual approaches, which I've never heard anyone talk about before. So light and shadow is only one of them. But then you have silhouette, form, which is front lighting, um, local tone, which is uh, flat lighting, or uh, which, which is makes up of so many paintings. Um, so many paintings are done under the local tone, like uh, Devon Korn, even Fashion, Richard Schmid. Um, you have light and shadow, you have that's that's oblique lighting like Rembrandt and uh, David LaFell, Soroya. But Van Gogh was a local tone painter. He he's tried he tried to be a, a light and shadow painter without understanding it, so he did that horribly for seven years until he saw the Japanese prints, which are local tone. And he his mind popped, he understood what they're doing, and that's when he became Van Gogh that, that we are. Okay, about. so I want to make sure I understand this because this is new to me. So local tone is flat lighting, correct? Local tone is the, yeah, that is the effect of a, a cloudy day. Let's say you walk out on the cloudy day where the sun is, is filtered and you don't really see cast shadows, right? Right. So when you don't see the cast shadows, you see the actual local value of whatever you look at without uh, the effect of shadow. So light. would you say that like Jeremy Lipking might be someone who exploits local tone? He's not. No. Uh, because his, his paintings are very tonally rich, but they always, ha his paintings are more soft lighting, like okay. light and shadow. But, it, but you, it's always about the, the relationship between the shadow and the light, mm -hmm. right? But it's softer. Whereas Soroya is between bright sunlight which creates a different kind of shadow, right? Graphic shadows. Uh, Rembrandt is always this north window, which is one light source, right? Right, right. So that's the line shadow. A true local tone painter is like the Japanese woodblocks. You know, they they abstract everything down to just a flat value. Okay. Right? Um, if you look at Fession's paintings, he's more likely to be a local tone painter than Jeremy is. Um, Oh yeah, because he doesn't he he doesn't have any value other than just to describe where things are more or less. 
and fetch him. Yes, it's he, almost he, stylized he, in a way. Yeah, well, he they got it that use use local tone a lot, and then he'll put a little shadow under the chin, under the nose, you know, to create a little form. But the design, the structure of the painting is based on value relationships. Mm-hmm. You know, it's based on graphic and and you know, you, Richard Devencorn. It's abstract to me. Abstract and, and realism. It's all the same. It's all the same vocabulary that we use. So, Richard Devencorn. Um, his strength is in the beautiful values and shapes that he he puts next to each other, and it's not based on form at all, right? Right, right. It, so, so the first four visual approach is based on different light types. So you've got oblique lighting, you have silhouette lighting, you have um, flat lighting, but the sec the, the next four visual approaches are based on what happens after artists understood that. Painting is is really an abstract uh, exercise. Color is an abstract idea. Value is an abstract idea, right? Texture is an abstract idea. So the next four visual approach is equalization, which is uh, I call that painting that doesn't have a focal point. Mm-hmm. So Jackson Pollock is a basic, but Bruegel also did that. Um, there are many other artists who are realist artists who use that approach to distribute detail all over the painting. Uh, dark light pattern, which is a concept where you break the whole painting down into a design of dark and light. That's it. That's the core relationship. And then you have color as a visual approach, which is your main focus thrust of the painting is to explore color relationships. Uh, and that doesn't mean just bright colors all the time. It has to do with exploring the whole range of what color does. And lastly is lines. Lines as um, as an expression of your painting. You see, so we can go much deeper into this. And that that's why when you look at my work as a whole, there's no. It's hard to find a style that I stay with. I'm um, I'm continually. I'm easily I'm easily intrigued by just whatever, and then and then that allows me to say, how would I paint this? Maybe this would look better in dark light pattern, or I wonder how my this as is a this is a really a local tone situation, and this situation here is really beautiful form in light and shadow. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, that's why I'm all over the place. So, how much of this? Is do you find at this point is intuitive, and how much of it is you really thinking through all of these categories as you're creating a picture? Oh, good question. I know it's it's highly intuitive now. Once you understand anything at all, right? When you learn to understand, and once you understand, you can leave it behind. So for me, this is really uh, intuitive understanding of of uh, the nature of things. However, when I started painting. I usually will, will will have an understanding that this is going to be the thrust of the painting. It will be about color, or it will be about value, or uh, it will be about uh, edges and, and light and shadow, the atmospheric effects. You know what I mean? So I usually will have an idea of where uh, I have the premise. I have a premise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you ever get into a painting and say to yourself, okay, this particular choice is not working like let's say you chose flat lighting or local local you called it local color or local 
Local tone. Local, local tone. tone. Correct. Okay. So you yeah, called call it local, local tone. tone. So you started painting with this concept of using local tone. Do you ever have a painting like that? And then you go, oh, this is not working. I need to do something that's more relate that's that uses a dark and light relationship. For example, I, yeah, I rarely do, but I, I've started painting like that and it didn't work. And, and we'll, you know, it won't work out the way that I was hoping it would work out. So, right. So when, when I have that, when I, when that direction is not going as I'm hoping I'll keep, you know, that becomes like, I'm like a bulldog. I, I like, I've got to make this work. So it, it becomes a challenge at that point uh -huh. to push it that direction until it works, you know, because if I switch gear and go say, well, this is going to be a light and shadow painting, then I, I might as well do a light and shadow painting. Oh, but, that's interesting. What I'm trying to do. Yeah. So if I'm trying to do a local tone painting and it's not going well for me is because my decisions were weak. So I would just keep pushing myself until I make better decisions. Really? So is, so what motivates you to paint then? Is it the challenge of painting? Because obviously you take that challenge head first and you don't just make a right hand turn when you're struggling. So is that, is that part of what drives you to paint or what interests you about painting? The most interesting thing about painting to me is going where I don't know where I'm going. It's really? It's the hard stuff. Yeah. Because I mean, I, I, I can set up, a figure and I can set up the still life and I can, I can paint, I can paint the heck out of that. I know what to do, but it doesn't interest me anymore. It, it's it, it, not that it doesn't interest me anymore. It doesn't challenge. Uh, it's not as much fun. Yeah. as when I, I'm doing something that uh, I've never done before. And I've got a couple of them going on right now. I just visited this Keeneland racetrack and, and immediately I'm, I'm doing the, the horses in three different ways, you know, to see how, how it might turn out and yeah and they and they they're kicking my butt and but it's that's the fun part so you say they're kicking your butt what is that well okay so as you know i interviewed adrian stein yesterday who's your wife and mm -hmm. she by the way refers to you i believe she called you the painting ninja um because ah, she never <laughs> called you that. She might have been something else, but that's how I interpreted it. And uh, she she said that no one paints faster than you. And it's just mm. you're just lightning fast and incredibly precise and at the same time. And but yet yeah, and you're talking about this struggle that you're having with these horses, you know, and obviously struggles all yeah. relative. The struggle you have might not be the same as a student struggle. But that being said, yeah. how when when you go to bed at night and you're struggling so to speak with a painting does that is that a positive feeling for you or is that a frust is that a frustrating feeling for you to be to leave a, to leave um, your studio at night and go to bed knowing well, I mean, that you're yeah. not that it's not resolved it, it drives me crazy i i would rather stay up all night to do it right to work through it you know but um and i i I could do that if I was single. Yeah, <laughs> and didn't have a kid, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right. But now, but um, uh, I, you know, I she calls me the fastest gun in the West or something like that. And I said, well, it's not. It's, it only looks fast to you because I'll do three paintings and have them all going at the same time. But what she doesn't see is that that painting is not done in three months. 
because I, I put it down, I put it back up, I put it down. So if I run into, I take it as far as I can, and then if if it, it becomes a problem, I don't have, I don't mind putting it away, and like a month later, I'll put it up and obliterate the whole thing, and she'll never see that. She doesn't see that part. But when I'm painting, I'm not so much fast as I'm very efficient. Right? When I'm when I'm painting, I'm very efficient. Like I, I have a good understanding of what goat needs. Like I, the most important thing for me about a painting is the structure of it, which means the design of it. In other words, right? So the structure of it uh, has to be beautiful to me. Has to be interesting. And if the structure is interesting to me, which means there's a hierarchy of where all the shapes meet, like the, the lights, the darks, and the mediums, the abstraction of that. If that's interesting to me in the first 10 minutes of the painting, mm -hmm. then I know I've got it. But if that is not interesting, it doesn't matter how long I work on a painting, it would never, never be good. That's for me. So mm. that there's an efficiency there for me when I was, once I have that, then I kind of know what needs to go down next. What needs to go. So I see the hierarchy of what's important in the painting more or less before I start. More or less. I mean, there's room for it to push and pull quite a bit. But the, so I told her I'm, I'm really efficient and that's why I can be, I can appear to be faster, you know? Right, right. So, so to answer your question, I really don't let a painting frustrate me too much. I mean, I do plenty. To be honest with you, m most of my paintings are about, 60 or 70% if, if of my satisfaction, you know, to yeah. my satisfaction. I had a solo show um, 2000, a couple years ago at 1261, my first solo show in 11 years. And it was my most successful show sales-wise and, and, and everything else. But when I delivered the paintings to the gallery, I was so like downhearted. Like these paintings didn't quite go where I wanted to go. You know what I mean? They, like almost there so i'm like ah but but um once they were up and we had like shoulder to shoulder opening and i saw the paintings up i real when i had some objectivity i realized actually these were pretty good you know there, oh, there are a few a that i would feeling. love to take yeah it, it, it's a it's a good feeling but i can tell you i was so disheartened hanging up the painting i was so depressed so sometimes you're not objective enough, you know what I mean, to, to really see your work until years later you see it on somebody's wall and say, who did that? That's pretty good. Yeah, don't you feel like it's sort of <laughs> like looking in the mirror? You know, we can't ever really appreciate our own face because we've been looking at it for so long. It's just how difficult. We're just hypercritical, okay. you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I think every painting, I start with a, a sometimes a most of them, I, I start with a flurry of excitement because I have this idea, you know, that I want to try, you know, and um, and sometimes it works out, you know, really well, and other times, like, oh, I didn't even, I thought I was better than that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've all been there. So tell us, yeah, where do your ideas come from, or what are your sources of inspiration? Wow, that's a good question. I think um, what, so I could say when I was younger, I had I had ideas in my head of what is what was going to be a good painting, and uh, and now as I as I'm more mature, it's all around me. I, I just have to be quiet and just walk around. It's it's all around me mm. if I pay attention. 
you know. And uh, like, for example, like I've been in Pennsylvania now for three, four years, and I've hardly painted. Uh, I've only done a few paintings of him because most of the time I'm walking around and I'm absorbing what this feels like to me, you know, walk through the woods. And now I'm beginning to do paintings, the texture and the color and the, and the harmony of things coming together is very different than in Colorado, where, where, where the mountains are right there above you. Here, the landscape surrounds you. You're inside of very small places, right? So, uh, I don't go looking for, uh, inspiration so much as it is, as I just, I just pay attention and mm-hmm. it's, it's all around me. It could be anything. It could be a flower. It could be leaves on the ground. It could be, you know, I just did some faces of Liam, of course, a uh, little baby face, you know, and, and portraiture is all around me. And, and, uh, but, but in some ways, the eight visual approaches that I was telling you about, um, focuses me on the, the visual dialogue. So for example, I could take a figure and paint it eight different ways. How, how can I turn this into a light and shadow painting? How can I do this as a local tone painting? So it's like a musician, you know, when you're playing around with sound and you say, well, how can, how can I take that up in a different octave and change the rhythm and play this in a different style? And that's, that's what's intriguing to me right now. I'll take, I'll, you know, I'll go, Full bore with color in one painting, and the one I have on my easel right now is is almost like a a tonal sepia painting, you know. So I can okay. explore edges and, and connection like that. So okay, so, so tell me about these horse paintings. So you saw these horses. Was it at a track or a farm or? Yeah, oh, the, the first time I got to paint horses was I was invited to paint in Montana at this beautiful ranch. I took the invite. I did, you know, five of the top landscape painters, and they invited me to come paint with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, I walked out, walked past the the corral where all the horses were. I'm like, whoa. I walked down. I didn't paint much landscape at all that week. I hung around with the horses. I've never been around them. I painted them, and I took photos, and I came back and for the next five years. I did this series of, of these uh, they're like dancers to me. They're so beautiful and they're patient. And uh, I got absorbed in that. In the meantime, I'm painting other things too, but I sold all of them. And um, somebody at Keeneland Racehorse in Kentucky saw them and invited me to come up there to, to look at their horses. And well, once you see the racehorses, I had no idea how beautiful they are. They look like, you know, when you see those racehorses and compare them to the ranch horses, they look the ranch horses looked like couch potatoes, you know, <laughs> beer drinking couch potatoes. They were, they, they were big and fat, and they, these other ones were beautiful. So that's how that all started. And uh, and I did that a couple years ago, and I, I they, they sold my paintings in an auction that went really well. And then I came, we just got back from there a week ago, and I, I, second time seeing them, I saw even more, and I got even more inspired to, to see them in different ways. Before, I only saw the horse. This time, I see them connected to their environment and the riders and, and what that all meant. You know, So I get a little deeper glimpse into it. So that, that's just one, uh, that's just one 
avenue that could just take me for a while. I got to work with uh, the Colorado Ballet for about 15, 20 years, and that's the same kind of thing happened. I'll go in and never been around that kind of thing before, and then, of course, I'm totally intrigued. I'm like a little kid. And then, of course, in, in, in I'll take a subject like that and explore how it could go. So that's the same with landscape or, you know. Yeah. Um, well, that explore is what I'm trying to get at, though. Like, so you, you see a horse that's beautiful and inspires you. How do you go from a horse to a painting? Like, what are the, what are the creative steps that you're going through to decide, I want to do this painting this way? I want to... Like you had said, one of them you want to explore color, one you decide you want to make it more tonal. Like, what is yeah. that creative process for you like? Well, you can imagine that that the most logical thing to do is paint the horse, the dancer within their environment, right? So you take a snapshot, right? Or you paint from life. You include the wall. You include the racetrack or whatever it is. Uh, and for me that isn't as interesting that that's not and i'm not saying that going that direct wouldn't be interesting it's just for me i like well the first thing was the form of the horse was so beautiful like a dancer i wanted to explore that okay. and then i wanted to see if i'm going to be talking about that i don't want to distract it with all the stuff in the background i want how do you just create how can you create an interesting visual with just the form of a horse, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that means I have to abstract the background in such a way that the background is not a background. It's integrated with the form of the horse too, because I, I don't, Oh, I'm dying to see I don't these believe paintings. In, <laughs> well, it, it's a, uh, well, that's why I can show you a couple of, but there's, there's one where I painted, you know, in the early days when you paint a portrait and you leave the background empty because you don't know what to do with it. Right. Yeah. It's the background. Well, for me painting, there's no such thing as a negative space, you know? So you, it's, it's, even if you leave unpainted area, it has to be integrated into part of the design of the painting. So for me to take a form like a horse and paint it, how do I, how can I make it, can I make the back the whole thing become one big assignment, an abstract assignment, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I can, I, it becomes like the visual approaches, really. You know, how how do I do this with with um, low key, high key, color, no color, and I honestly, what it actually comes down for me anyway, is really um, finding that visual dialogue, finding how far can I push that visual dialogue. Um, I told Adrian. Adrian is. One of the best colorists I know. She's oh, a fabulous absolutely. colorist. And I'm not. I'm actually, my color is my weakest point. No, I disagree, so, but I'll let you. I'll let you well, well thank you. you. But, I, but for me, for yeah. me, it's the most frustrating thing for me is color. And uh, and I feel like I have to, like I, I, Kevin Weckbach is one of my brightest students and one of the best colorists I've ever met. And he could dial up color the way that um, a musician can can have perfect pitch, you know, mm -hmm. and hear a note mm -hmm. and say, well, it's B flat. He could dial up color like that. And it's like, ah, oh, I, I, I can't do that. You know, I have to fumble around and mix and run to try one. Oh, that's not it. Try another one. Eh, that's not it. You know, I keep having to mess around until I find it finally, if I ever find it. 
but whereas he can, he puts a color down and he almost knows what will go with that perfectly. He'll dial it up. It's really uncanny. But um, so f for me, the areas that I'm weakest at is what I want to attack next. You know what I mean? Mm. So that that for me is the challenge, and um, and, and that's for me is the most amount of fun. So. So do going you mean forward, that in any, do you, I'm sorry, do you mean that in any particular painting you want to attack the areas that are most difficult for you or that you're choosing subjects that challenge the areas that are most difficult for you? I'm, I'm choosing the subject. I'm oh. choosing the painting that forces me to deal with these problems. Wow. Okay. That's risky as a career, wouldn't you say? Uh, I don't have a career. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I gotta disagree I with that. One. I don't think about <laughs> You know, Jeff, um, it, interesting because Adrian talked a lot about career, and I and I never have thought about my career. Just never did. I just I just knew that if I don't spend more than I make, I'm gonna be okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm a very frugal person, and and uh, for me, when I was younger, when I barely made any money, if I made money, it was to buy myself time to do the next painting to to a point where I, I i saved up enough that i could take two years off and paint and not worry and um which means i i lived very frugally of course but even to this day um i don't think about what you know uh, now more than ever i don't think about what painting uh will sell because and i tell you what that that my last show in 2001 uh, sorry two years ago right before COVID hit I had like 40 something paintings and they looked like 10 different artists did it. I, there were some paintings in there that I took huge risks and they were so different from one another. I sold almost all of them. Hmm. And I realized if you trust, if you follow your hearts, you know, you follow, if you follow your true calling, and it sounds like taking a risk, but I know now that if it's good, if I, if I give it everything I've got, eventually you'll find a market for it. Yeah. Know? That's so, great. That's, that's a great piece of advice. I know it wasn't meant for, to be advice, but I think it's a good piece of advice to anybody. You know, it gives up, brings up a couple of thoughts. Like one is that I learned a long time ago. I, cause I agree with you 100%. Um, but I learned a long time ago when I tried to paint one painting, um, in my whole career, I've tried to paint one painting that I thought would sell. In other words, I painted it to sell. And uh, mm -hmm. that was the that was the one painting that I could not sell. <laughs> you know, and I think I, it was a combination of a couple of things. One, you can't predict your market. So all you so why try just do your best work, right? That's one thing. You know, but then also I'm getting, goose, I'm, yeah. I'm getting goosebumps as you tell me that because same thing happened to me. Oh, it did. So you learned it the hard way too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, no, because there's something unartistic about that. Oh, it's totally. It's terrible. Yeah. But then yeah. also, <laughs> but then also, you don't do your best work when you're trying to paint for the market because you're not being authentic, right? No. So yeah, I, right. I admire that. I admire that perspective. But at the same time, it is the reason I sort of jokingly said that's not a smart business move is because it's brave. It shows bravery to like go, okay, I'm not going to play to my strengths. I'm going to play to my weaknesses and see what I can get. Okay. So the other thing that, um, 
came to mind is that you said you had paintings that looked like they were by a dozen different artists. And I remember when I was in art school that my teachers pounded in my head that you had to find your voice and you had to find a look, right? In air quotes, you had to find a look or a quote unquote style. And uh, I've since met people like you and experienced in my own work that completely disprove that theory. And that and it seems to me, if you produce good work, you can be free to experiment even from painting to painting. Mm. I mean, would you agree I, I with that? The, I, I do. And I, I was thinking the, 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 that there's, the word authenticity comes to mind. I think that if you're authentic, you could take, you can take one painting, you know, you can be a flower painter and do that for the rest of your life. If you're authentic, you could, you'll find new ways to do it. But if you do it because it sells or, or you think the market, that's what will sell for you, then it's, then something about that is not authentic. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. As far as the art goes. And for me, it's authentic. I could, easily just become a horse painter tomorrow and that's all i do and I'll, I'll be i can i will never exhaust the number of ideas that will come from it, you know or i can go back to painting just portraits or figure in the landscape or whatever it might be i've explored all those things i had all those things in my art show mm -hmm. different styles and different visuals they also but for me the authenticity is to wake up in the morning and follow that call whatever it might be it could be doing something that i'm that i've done a million times before and i want to do it a little bit better right or it could be seeing something that i've never thought of to paint before and say i wonder, oh, I wonder how i could do that and go after that so i feel like um this, the the thing about authentic style that happens if you're lucky enough to have a, a style that authentically is like your handwriting that just appears without you um kind of manip i feel like you're manipulating the viewer when you're you know playing kind of luring them into buy this thing um if it happens naturally in a way then there's nothing wrong with that you know but if you're developing a style because you think that will be your identity, it doesn't, I, I don't mean that it can't work. Certainly it could be very lucrative and, and it could work great. There are plenty of artists who've done that. But are you doing it at the cost of, of who you are authentically? You know? Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've talked to so many of my great artists, friends, and heroes when I was growing up. And this conversation comes up and, uh, and they, they're, most of them are scared to death of changing. And they, they see me just being a wild man, you know, and they say, oh gosh, I would love to try that. I'm like, well, do it. You'd be awesome at it. I'm like, oh, then they never do it because, you know what I mean? Because yeah, there's, there's a certain amount of thinking about what will sell and it's being safe, I suppose. Right. Yeah. Can't blame them. And they've got a history yeah. of sales in a particular area, maybe. Yeah, and that would be a little scary. You know, I heard a podcast once. I wish I remembered what it was. Um, but it was about running. This guy, he he decided he wanted to, he was really uh, 
enthusiast, running enthusiast, and been running his whole life, but he decided he really wanted to explore it deeper. So he visited this Olympic team and had an Olympic trainer and then was going to run this big marathon afterwards to see if he could push himself a little further. And apparently in running, I don't know anything about it. And apparently in running, um, there's a lot of people in the running field that say that you should run with a certain gait, like there's a certain form to how you should run that's more efficient. And um, he'd heard that over the years as he ran. But then he, when he got with this professional trainer who's trained all these great runners, the guy said, you can't tell someone to run a certain way. We're all we all we all have different legs like we were going to put our foot down the way our our skeletons and 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 muscle structure will allow right and so you just got to let the runner learn how to run the way they run and work with how they run Mm. right and i thought that was a perfect analogy for painting it's like when an artist tries too hard to run the way they don't run it, it, they almost yeah. become more awkward and weird, right? And, and they start doing this little waddle down through the, <laughs> instead of just doing yeah. what's natural to them. Um, and then paint, yeah. So right. it's like, we just have to just let it be, just be what comes naturally, do what comes naturally, it seems like. But, but, but Jeff, you know, you know that half of painting is very practical and uh, has to do with performing your best right right like like it's it's difficult them half the time my drawing is off that's why the painting goes bad you know like i'm not paying enough attention or the values could be better it comes down to to basics like that even when you have this grand idea of a masterful painting with with, with ideas and colors i've never tried before it still comes down to good drawing good value understanding connecting of shapes and edges and that kind of stuff you know Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter what you still, you know, developing your own style comes from hard work still, right? Right, right. You still have to work at your drawing and whatever natural way it is that you draw, a natural way it is that you see edges and quality of edges, it comes through. Um, I've, I've had a lot of students and artists who expect things to be easy and they, and they were talented people, but they never go anywhere because they never worked hard enough at it. Hmm. Did you ever see that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I had two yeah. students sign up at one time around, around the same month. And one of them had very hmm. little talent and the other one had exceptional amount of natural talent. Neither had had background. Hmm. So you could see that one just naturally understood things more than the other. But the talented one was lazy. And two years later, the, the, the one without the natural aptitude had surpassed the lazy one. It was yeah. quite amazing to see. Yeah. I've seen that a lot. And, and uh, it, 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 has to, it has to do with your connection to life, like how observant you are, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, had a, I, had, I had an experience that, that taught me that, that I can't do good paintings unless I'm fully interested in what I'm painting, you know? Um, I was in West Virginia. I was invited to uh, the Greenbriars, which in the fall, which I've never been to West Virginia in the fall. It's spectacular, beautiful. And I'd had my paints with me and I, I went out to paint. Um, and I drove in the backwoods of West Virginia all over the place. And then I, when I got up to set up to paint, I realized I want to spend all day on this one little scene that I 
randomly chose. And I realized that's not going to do it. So I put the whole thing away. And for the entire day, I walked around in, in that forest, in the, in the woods. I had a whole state park to myself. And I just sat on the stump and looked around me and just become really observant. After that day, when I came back to Denver, I only, I wanted to do the largest paintings hmm. that I could, I, I, they all needed to be large paintings because the experience was so, I took, you know, cell phone camera shots and, and in my show, I had four large, like, like six feet by eight feet paintings. Wow. One of them was looking into a, a still pool of just water, like the, the leaves when you walk was a foot deep and in one square foot is like the most amazing amount of color in that one square foot. But then when you pull your eye back, you got a, full, a whole floor of that. And then the tree trunks were, were silver. I mean, there were paintings everywhere. And then the sun came out, like, you know, so I, I'm just sitting here observing all this. And then I walked by the stagnant pool of water, which is, I never would stop to think about painting a pool of water. Well, I stared at it and I saw that underneath the water surface was these leaves that had fallen and sunken down and on top of it were floating some new ones and they were bright and colorful. And then and it, I couldn't think of anything, but so I did this large painting that I turned into almost an abstraction when I got back and it took me a whole year to do that. And, um, and I had these paintings. I didn't never thought about the market. I, I didn't know who's going to buy these large paintings. So did they sell? Uh, I had them. They did. Wow, those are big paintings. Or, That's a big wall. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, I don't know if I have. There's somewhere on on twelve sixty one's page. I have some of those images on there. But I never got a good photo of them. But they. But the whole point is that that until you absorb it is there's something that has to go deeper into you than just saying there's a you know subject that. In some ways, the horses are, are, are very much just the first time I painted them, I was full of excitement. And the first two paintings were really good. The rest of them, the racehorses, the rest of them, I just couldn't, I didn't do a good painting for the last three or four years. And then this last trip, I came back with renewed interest and energy. And already I'm, I'm having fun with them, you know, more fun with them and, and new ideas that are pushing ahead. So, yeah, does, does that make any sense? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So do you have a favorite subject matter? I mean, I kind of think I know what you're going to say here, no. but if <laughs> no. no, I, I didn't think you, I, I didn't think you would. Um, but with that being said, yeah. I want to actually pull up your website now. I want to look and see and talk about some of the work that you've done. Um, but I also, you are. Oh yeah, yeah. Does. Yeah. So, let me see here. Um, I can tell you, I haven't updated this in about a year. <laughs> yeah, I probably should warn, should have warned you. Um, but is there anything in here that would be that you would that you would like to talk about, or should I pick my favorites? Um, yeah, you can I'd pick like whatever. to pick this one because this is a... kind of what I think you were just describing, except right. there's a deer in it. That was actually. There's there's three or four deers in there. Deer oh in my there. gosh! There's a bunch of them. Um, this yeah. Is, <laughs> yeah. So this is actually the experience when I was leaving that park in in um, in West Virginia. So it was getting really dusky after the spending the day, 
in the in the in the in the forest. I was driving out, and I glanced out, and I didn't see the deer at first, and then I saw them. Right, so I took a quick snapshot, and it was a blurry shot, and it was it was nothing. But the experience of it stayed with me. And then, well, you years captured later, it because it just happened to me with your painting. That was that you captured it perfectly. <laughs> well, well, that was the whole point. I was trying to paint that experience yeah. of of the big thing, you know, and um, and and it, there are layers and layers and layers of paint on this painting. So yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I've never, you know, and I don't paint there. But you, you see that dancer to the right of your, oh, that one. Yeah, I love this paint. I love when you do nude figures. It's just Thank a you. master, a master at painting the nude. So tell, is there anything you can say about this one? Well, this, this really exemplifies what we've been talking about earlier. I had, I woke up with an idea of, I wonder if I could paint a figure in the forest in nature so that the whole thing will melt together like wax. You know, I wanted, I wanted this figure to integrate so fully into the landscape that it feels like wax. Well, I tried it for two years before this little one came along. Wait, so how and, many paintings did you throw away? Or are you just reworking and reworking oh, and reworking? Really? Yeah, no, I, I probably about eight paintings that didn't work. It was either too loose or too tight. You know, so how, how do you something. cope with that? How do you cope with throwing paintings away as you're doing it? Is it, is it, is it just part of the process and you've accepted that, that, that I'm going to fail eight times before I get a winner or is it a little bit difficult yeah, to deal with? Much. <laughs> it, you've accepted it. No, I, I've accepted it. I, I, I feel nothing about scraping the painting away now. You know? And sometimes when I scrape it away, in fact, for about five years, I was doing these paintings where I will literally do a good painting and then scrape it because, because you know how you do a bad painting and you scrape it and it always looks better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, why does it look better? So I'm like, well, there's something there. So when I started doing that, it created really beautiful effects. And so I was, okay, I took that and applied to some of this, mm. you know, but, but if you look at this painting as wild as it is, it's basically a light and shadow painting, right? Yeah. When you so squint down at it, it's very clear. Yeah. Yeah, so every, which means in, in the light and shadow painting to me, everything in the painting either belongs to the light or the shadow, nothing in between. You have to know where everything is. So this painting is really essentially, that's my structure that I was talking to you about earlier. Hmm. And it allows me then to, to, then to be free or as free as I dare to be free and still hold the shapes and the drawing and all of that. And this painting was the first one that worked and I'm really sorry that I sold it because um, I sent it up to the Northwest Rendezvous and it, it sold right away. And it surprised. was unlike, you know, but think about it, Jeff, it's not like anything I've ever done before. It doesn't go with any of the still life or styles I've done before. So all of that to say, you know, you've got to respect your audience. They're smarter than you think they are. You know, they know when, a, a, when a painting is good and one, you know, you're just BSing them. You know yeah. what I mean? If it's beautiful, it's beautiful. Why do they care if it's the same yeah. old still life that you've been painting, right? Um, right? So, okay, this is a really stupid question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So if I were to paint this, I would have to be very disciplined to be squinting nonstop in order to make out the dark and light pattern. 
and not oh and is that the case for you or do you just have such a sense of value that you're able to have your eyes wide open and pull put pull this abstract thing together and still maintain that that light and convincing yeah. light and dark pattern because i didn't even see it until uh, i squinted at it i just saw this beautiful abstraction and then i squinted and oh, went wow look at that light pattern well the squ squinting is so that you can see the the basic structure isn't it it's, right, it's right. all the details of the structure I, I never squint because I yeah. always see the big. I was afraid you'd say that. Dang it! <laughs> <laughs> no, I've been, I've been I've been trained to, to. I don't put a stroke down without seeing the whole thing together. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Okay, let so me it, see. It, Let's let me. I want to have you crazy. pick out another one that you'd like to talk about. And if you well, struggle, there's, there's I have plenty. <laughs> What's that? Well, there's a. See that yellow dancer piece? Yeah, right here. In the middle. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been working with the, the the ballet dancers for a number of years. And, and you know, after a while, I'm like, okay, I, I paint this. I try to figure out how to do that. And then one day I'm like, what would happen if I paint it in, in a color, in just one color? And yellow is a very unlikely color that I would, like, put a painting around. And it's a, it's a, it's a, weak spot for me. So I made an exercise out of doing a painting based on golds and yellows, you know? And this painting uh, has lots of layers in it and it has just a few dark accents in there, you know? Mm -hmm. um, it was still wet in my studio when the collector walked through and, and bought it. Really? I, I know it. Yeah. But, you know, so that just shows you how I would take a subject and and turn it into a visual exercise by color, or it could be, and there's another one, there's another image on here where it's local tone, maybe you can find that. It's the, it's also a dancer, uh, maybe go up, go up. Oh, there it is, she's right there. Yeah, that one. Oh, this is very different. different. that is? Very different, yeah. So this is very graphic. And the other one's very atmospheric. Beautiful. So to me, there's two two types of painting. There's atmospheric painting, or or or, or graphic painting, and it's important to know that they have different effects, obviously. So this one is more like a local tone painting. You see how it's about that that mm -hmm. black ground, that color, and then there's little light and shadow on the figure, but it's secondary. So light and shadow is the secondary visual approach. Mm -hmm. The primary visual approach is local tone. Okay. So you could you could do a painting that has all eight visual approaches in it. It's just that one has to be dominant. Oh, that's, yeah, that's great. Yeah, it's a whole different kind of thinking. Yeah, I like that. So can, oh, can, I, I know, I got to pick this one. I just love this series. And, oh, and I know you. you sort of commented on the other one. If you'd like to comment, please do. But I just wanted this, to show this, this one. So this was the so the little one that you showed before I did that after two years it was another two years before I could do it again like this and made it work. You're kidding. So if you look, no, I'm not kidding because I went back to the struggle. I don't know if you have this struggle with your painting, but this is for me that 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 walk in the tightrope is the line between perfect control and complete madness. Like you you're on the verge of falling off a cliff. You know, mm -hmm. so, um, mm -hmm. so that your expression, it feels like you have, you've thrown a band into the wind. You, you like, 
I don't care what happens, but at the same time, your control is perfect as well. So this painting, if you zoom in on it, it's crazy. I don't know if you can zoom in on it, but it's it's literally, look at how wild the, the paint application was. And that figure, and, when you zoom in on it, there's nothing to her. Right. But it right. totally it's, comes together only, as a real figure in the forest. It's, and I'm still learning that right now. It's like my mind still wants to put too much crap in there. And 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 in this painting, it I only held on to the light shape and the shadow shape, and that describes everything. Well, and it looks like you threw some solvent on here and had some drippy stuff going on too. Like you're, it seems like you're trying all kinds of techniques to get this texture. I I, I did all of that was so intuitive, Jeff. I mean, if you ask me how I did it again, I don't think I could do it again. It was just, it, it was like immediate impulse whatever i felt like i threw it down without any fear at all i put everything down without any fear i think that's the main thing you can't even see your head but then no but then when you zoom back out and it's like totally acceptable like accept it that's brilliant yeah you know what what i was thinking about when i painted this piece i was thinking about what how eve must have felt when she first walk the earth like there was no separation between herself and nature there's no ego there's yeah no, there's no separation you know what i mean and she didn't so even I know she was naked ease. yep <laughs> no no that was before she knew she was naked yeah that's <laughs> uh that's really cool um yeah i love that series this is this this painting is so different and this is one oh it's tiny why is that tiny oh why is it so tiny oh i don't um, know it's super blurry is, yeah, I didn't. I didn't have a good uh, resolution for that painting. I guess when I added that to my web page. But this is a so much this, more this academic real... painting for you, at least for your yes. compared to your current work. Right. This was an actual experience. One of my few rare portraits that I did. This gentleman's name is Jack, and I had a studio in Cincinnati. Uh, my brother lived there, and I had this beautiful city uh, for a while overlooking the city. And Jack was a jack of all trades, but a master of none. But he could do my plumbing and electrical and stuff. But I, uh, that, that's the literally the back wall of the studio. Really interesting. Hmm. But I just had him sit for me. And instead of having him face the window, I, I had him face away from the window. So his face is in shadow. Yeah. While he sat there, he, he told me amazing stories growing up as a black man in Cincinnati and the history. Hmm. And, um, so that's one of my few portraits. You know? Wasn't this uh, in the Portrait Society of America competition? Or what, did I see it somewhere else? No, you know, uh, I never entered the Portrait Society until just, uh, just, but the Portrait Society invited me to do a demo on stage mm -hmm. and they used that image. They ah, used that image. That's to, what it was. Okay, that's, I thought, where I saw it. I, I knew I saw it associated with them. So, yeah, yeah. this. Can you talk about this one for a minute? The seated figure abstraction? Yeah, that was, that was done from life. Well, that was done from life on top of a, another bad painting. So oh. it's interesting what you see. That painting was done. What I did was I scraped. You could see the background was actually another figure from a Wednesday Night Live painting. Right in here. And I had scraped it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I had scraped it, and uh, and I just painted right over it. And I use all the abstracted scrapes 
at, and integrate it into the figure that I was painting. And I thought it turned out really well. Oh my gosh, if I try to do that again on purpose, I would have trouble. But, um, but the scraping and the knife work was really cool, the abstraction of it, you know? Yeah, but then it looks like, it looks like you actually started to bring back some of the underpainting, some of the previous painting. Yes. Like you've got fresh strokes around Absolutely. her breast and shoulder. Yeah. Oh, so you well, did. Well, I do. You know, when, when, you, when you're trying to integrate some other accidental thing, you have to integrate. You have to unite. You know, it's like, it's like uh, bringing, yeah, whatever it is I do, things have to integrate. You know? So there's no That's point in trying to hide it completely. Just just work with it. Is what you're saying, right? Have to work with it. You so bring it into what else? Dialogue. What would you? What else would you like to comment on? Oh my gosh! Uh, oh. Let's see. Okay, I know That's I keep so asking cool. you, and then yeah. I cut you off. But is this the one you were talking yeah. about, where you saw the water yeah. and the old yeah. leaves and the new leaves? Yeah. Zoom in. Zoom into the water, Jeff. See if you can see. It's 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 it looks like when you zoom in. It'll look like uh, oh, that's a bad photo too. Come, um, no, it's look good like, on my end. Is it okay? It's it's like shape within shape within shape. It's like uh, it reminds me of William de Kooning's excavation painting in in the water, and it's uh, and the trick is to do it without ever repeating the same shape twice, because I mean nature never repeats the same shape twice. So that's one of the um, key fundamental thing that I understood that, that, that really goes through my painting. Um, is Did, that nature is always maximally interesting. You know, what's interesting about this, or at least what I'm taking from it, and I'm sure this was intuitive as well, but like, let's take this section here. Like if I look at it from here, I wouldn't know what it is, right? Right. It's gorgeous as an abstract painting, which obviously is what you're going for. But all you had to do was add one or two touches like this that are absolutely representational, or at least at least eighty percent representational, and the whole thing makes sense. All of a sudden, it's a pool of leaves. Yes, because of just a few yes, hints, like one, right. two, three, four, is basically all you had to paint. That's brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But, but guess so what I'm cool. thinking about now. Thinking about now. I'm thinking about how can I do this and make you feel it without doing that. Oh really? Oh, I'm glad. I can't wait to see it. I'm not sure if I can, but that's what I'm thinking about. Right I don't now. know. That would be. That would be really hard. It, it but, would be hard. It, it has to rely on just the beauty of the paint, you know, and yeah. the relationship with that. Yeah. Ah, oh, it's so cool. Is that one of those, I didn't look at the size. Was that one of those really large ones? Yeah, really large. You see this black and white one at the very bottom, right below that? Oh, oh I lost it right that, here. That, that one. Oh, go back, go back one. Oh, there it is, to your left, to that one. Yeah. So that, that was a, a really large one. I say that's about... 70 by 75. By yeah, about, about six feet. So that was also part came from that experience in the woods. Mm. And the first painting I tried to do in color, I failed at it. It was, it was just drove me nuts because it was because the color was getting in the way. I couldn't get the expression down. So I put that aside and I 
did it in black and white so I can feel the expressive quality of it. How did That's you know this the color out. was getting in the way? What about Because it color? wasn't coming out the way I wanted it. <laughs> <laughs> That's not well, an answer. <laughs> I, well, you, you'll see, you're going to see, I think I have the color painting on there too. Oh, you do? First try at it. I think Maybe I'm there. asking you an unanswerable um, question, but um, which is what? Well, how did you know that the color wasn't working? I mean, that's probably too intuitive. Oh, is this it? That's it. What about that's this one, isn't yeah, working? It. it just didn't feel good to me at, at first. Um, it, it. I learned so much about color by doing that thing. I thought I knew how to do that, but it just frustrated me because I couldn't see the color. I couldn't okay. make the color do. It never looked beautiful to me. So I, I put it aside. This painting lasted on my 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 um, it was sitting in my studio on and off the easel for like a year and a half, and I kept poking at it and poking at it. So you and, did uh, you and, failed? You did the black and white one, and then you did this one. And then I went back to that. Okay, so you must feel like this is I success because it's on your website. So it's got to be reasonably successful. Yeah. Okay, because I agree, it's gorgeous. It, it, Oh, thank you. It's actually better in person because you see a lot more color, but it's full of color. And every brushstroke is a color, you know, but it just, I just felt like I was singing the wrong darn note, you know, like I'm too flat, too sharp, too flat, too sharp. I couldn't hit the notes and that's why, but I wanted it to be expressive. Like I wanted to, the paint to explode on the, on the, this is how, that's how I felt about these landscapes and, uh, and it didn't do it. So when I went to the black and white one, I could make it explode because I didn't have color to, to, to get in the way. Now I would like to do this again and let the color explode. Mm. And I should have done that. And I haven't done it. When you say color explode, do you mean just get really chromatic? Uh, no, I'm sorry. I meant to get the paint to explode, but with the right color. Oh, gotcha. You know? Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. The, the, the beauty to me about that was the colors were restrained except for a few bright shots. Oh gosh. There's another one. I love this series. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. This one took me five years to do because four of the five years I couldn't stand the color. It was horrible, but I, I had a great idea. I wanted to paint it so that it looks like it's just so thick that if you lean against it, you'll, you'll get all cut up, you know? And so I wanted the paint to feel layered and layered and layered. I, so I did do all that, but the colors were never correct. The colors didn't look good. Um, before, it, finally, it, these paintings were shown in the, the museum, uh, the, the Booth Museum in, in Atlanta. And this painting, when it finally made sense, was when I threw in a bright spot of pure red and pure blue somewhere in there. And it just mm. broke me out of this, this, um, this way of thinking things should be natural. I was trying to paint the natural color. And in fact, that was, that's, that was my error that, that you, oh. could, you could push this so far. I didn't allow myself to push it far enough. And in fact, now this series allows me to really play with color. And, and yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if I could talk this a lot more. Well, these blues and oranges that you've got all these really beautiful, rich, chromatic blues, and then you've got beautiful, rich, chromatic oranges, and it's almost like they cancel each other out and making it feel like natural grays in the painting. Mm, interesting. Yeah, that's what feels... Yeah. The, yeah. Those little dots. Yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, it kind of feels like, you know, like a pointillist work in a way. 
much more interesting. Mm. But um, so let's like pull up something really traditional for you, just to show your chops, like <laughs> because oh, yeah. you, like what because you are not a one trick pony. You are you have a lot of tricks, no. right? So I wanted I to. Could, I could do this that. all day in my sleep. Yeah, but, yeah. Thank you. This kind of still life, I can do this in my sleep, right? And I love it because it's very meditative. Still life painting is like a meditation, mm -hmm. and this is a this is a, an exercise in low key, really low key, and just letting the colors kind of dance across the table. But if you look closer at this, Jeff, okay. you'll see that. Um, in, and like look at the peaches on the ground there. You can see that it's really connected. Like I'm, I'm really. Um, Painting like this is like composing a piece of classical music where nothing is ever isolated and separated. Like if you shake the painting or if you peel off a piece of my painting and the whole thing will, will unravel in one long string because everything is, is internally connected. So you can see the peach is connected yep. to the peach and then, you know, it connects to the table and then it connects to the shadow on the pot eventually. And so everything is connected. Um, and yet it doesn't lose the individuality of it. Yeah. So you, I, 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 really enjoy that. I think the thing, one of the things I love about your work most is your energetic brushstrokes. I mean, every stroke just has so much, it's just so interest. Every stroke has so much interest in life and is so dynamic. It's just unbelievable. And Thank my, you. so my thinking it, is, I, I don't think about that. I don't think about that. No, I know. I've painted next to you and it almost is like you're having a seizure on the canvas. Like you just like, <laughs> <laughs> you're just so, you just paint. You're just so, this is why your wife says you're, you're the fastest painter in the West or however she puts it. <laughs> but like you, you just paint like dynamic, like you're dancing with the canvas and it's, uh, it's obviously very intuitive for you. Um, but man, is it beautiful? It's thank you. It's beautiful in its simplicity, but the irony is, the simplicity is the most complicated. That's what I've noticed. A lot of students don't realize is that making things this simple work is so much more difficult than to make something complex work. Yeah. Right. When you say complex, when you say complex, do you mean more detailed? More detailed. Right. Right. Not a more complex object, but to put in more time yeah. and detail is easier than to do it in in what looks like maybe 10 strokes on one of these peaches yes and yeah. that that is incredibly difficult and so that's it's just mind-blowing how gifted you are with that um yeah and then when you I, I would say i would say that actually i'm i'm this shows my efficiency actually jeff but when i look I don't miss one single shape. So in a sense, when I look, when you look at those sunflowers, I see every single shape in relation to every single other shape. And I know which one I need to paint and, and which one belongs to a larger mass. So I mass all that in, you know what I mean? Right. So there's that efficiency, but in a sense, it's, it, there's no shortcut here at all. It, it's like you're, I'm fully focused on what's happening. No, it wouldn't work if you right. took shortcuts. That's the that's the magic right. in it. That's right. why it's so hard because you are including everything, but you're doing it with less strokes and seemingly yeah. less effort. But really, what it comes down to is your aptitude and years of years of practice. Um, hmm. 
but I think it's both. I don't think anyone could practice for as long as you have and get this good, but I do think that obviously plays a part in it, right? Of course. Um, well, and, and, and every day when I get into my studio, I'm still trying to find that efficiency. They don't always work like that. Some days I can't make anything work, like the drawing's off. And, then, and some days I have to slow myself down to make sure that my drawing, and I'm paying attention instead of trying to make it work through, through um, some kind of, you know, bold brushwork that, that will carry the painting. Sometimes right. I think like that. And then, yeah, you got to pay attention. So is, tell me about this one. The heavy, well, that's heavy a, That's a lion shadow. Yeah, that's a lion shadow painting, four feet by six feet. And it was also included in my art show. And uh, um, we had a, a foot deep, two foot deep snowstorm. And this was across the street from my, my condo in Denver, mm -hmm. in the park. So, and I just love the form. If you look into the shadow, deep shadows, the form kind of echo each other. And um, I, I love painting snow, even though I'm so over snow now, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I, I really love the, the forms that it creates, the shadow and light. Painting white is so much fun for me. It's challenging, though. Mm -hmm. It's challenging. <laughs> Everything's challenging. Everything's challenging. I don't challenging. know what's not challenging. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Everything's challenging. Um, okay, is there anything else that you would like to talk about here? I'm going to flip through. And well, you, Go ahead. Yeah, you, you see there's a series. that As everything with my work, Jeff, I, I, I st it starts with a series. Like you see the chef in the bottom, the bottom corner. Yep. Yep, that chef painting. So yep. I, that's my friend, my friend Frank Bonanno's restaurant in Denver, and I've been eating there. Uh, I've been painting that for 25 years, and I went there as a customer, and I saw the kitchen going, you know, the chefs in the kitchen because going back and forth. I'm like, oh, that'd be an interesting painting. Well, so at the end of the dinner, I asked them if I could take some photos and. And they, uh, they said, Wasu, we know who you are because your reservation name, we recognize it. We would, we would love it if you, you painted our, in fact, dinner's on us tonight. Just, uh, we'd like a painting someday down the line. Well, 25 years later, I've taken that same subject matter and I have not exhausted how I could do it. So what? How many times have you done it? it? Oh my gosh. I don't, I haven't even, I don't know, 50 times? I mean, I sold all the paintings. This is one of those that I painted a good painting and then I intentionally scraped it. So if you, if you see those scrape marks all over the place, mm -hmm. so I pull, I scraped it and then I went back and pull out just the detail that I wanted. Well, so this is actually to... probably the back of your brush over here. Not so much a scrape mark, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're done. That's great. I mean, whatever, it seems like you're, you're whatever. just playing with whatever works. Yeah, 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 just finding texture. I mean, look at the mark that went across his face. Yeah. You know, in, in, in all my years of painting, I never, you know, now now I'm seeing young artists doing this stuff everywhere. People are scraping paintings left and right, and it becomes like a style now, so I stopped doing this. Isn't, but, that, um, isn't that funny? I've done the same thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you? Yeah, I'm always running away from artists that are doing the things that I had done. Yeah. Constantly, oh. <laughs> constantly running away. Oh, great! Now everyone else is doing. I got to yeah. stop doing it. Yeah, but well, um, you know, you just keep doing whatever interests you. Mm -hmm, yeah, whatever mm -hmm. it may be. Oh my gosh! I haven't seen work like this from you. This is blatantly, totally, one hundred percent abstract. 
I yeah, didn't realize that's, you that's did that. That's a close up. That's actually a close up of one of the kitchen paintings. That's how abstract. That's how abstract my inner paint, the inner workings of my paintings are. No kidding. So you painted yeah. the kitchen painting and then you blew it up into another painting, but just a piece of the kitchen. Well, I blew it up as a photograph, but I have, I have, I have got ideas to do these. as. Oh, so this is literally a detail. Okay. Yes. Okay. Okay. I wonder what else is on there. Are there any other ones? Yeah, there's another one. Yeah. We'll keep going on that one. It's unbelievably we'll abstract. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Look at that. Yeah. That would be so good as a large painting. Um, you'll eventually see the full painting and you'll see what, uh, what those are. Is this it? Nope. Nope, that's not it. No, that's not it either. Oh, I like that one, though. So you get there. That, that's one of them. Unbelievable. That's one of them. Yeah, you, you, it's fun to listen to your excitement about the, the textures and the brushwork. Gosh, I, I tell you, Jeff, if I try to do this again, I probably wouldn't be able to do it. Because some of my best paintings were done so intuitively, you know, where you were trusting, you, you're trusting the universe so fully and trusting whatever, you, your excitement, you're trusting your excitement and you don't care. I make marks that is, is like instantaneous. I make a mark and I don't know why. It's just in response to what everything's happening. It's got nothing to do with the reference material has nothing to do with real life. And I'm making decisions like that. So when I try to do it again with fully conscious, I'm no longer intuitive. Hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's just like once, once in a lifetime thing. It's very interesting. Wow. These are gorgeous, yeah. beautiful work. So what's next? I love, I love that you're responding to the abstract stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, cool. What is next? Yeah. What's next? I think what's next is, um, I'm actually kind of pulling back from all the, 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 the deadlines and things that I dealt with when I was younger and, you know, thinking about career and all this stuff and, uh, or, or, or just, just the process of supplying paintings to galleries. My show, my show has taught me that to trust my interest. So my interest next is to, to, we kind of touched on it, some of these paintings, maybe blowing some of those details up into giant abstract paintings. Uh, I would like to revisit that, that still pool and do it even better. I'd like to revisit the, uh, the woods and do it larger. There's a, there's a series of paintings that I've started here in Pennsylvania. It's called Elementals because uh, I did a painting of, of, of fire. We could burn, burn trash out here in wood. So I, I did this big bonfire and I did a painting of the fire. And it's like, wow, the color and the texture. And then walking in the woods, again, going back to that forest uh, event, the detail and the texture is so incredibly beautiful to me. So I want to turn that to why I paint it so you feel it without getting too literal, not, nothing. But then I want to do one where I could really, like, like this. Hang on, let me show you this face. Can you see that bird's mm -hmm, nest? Mm -hmm. It's awesome. So that's a, that's a, I've been, I love bird's nest and natural thing. I've never painted a bird's nest. This painting was a painting of a deer skull that was here and it sat for months and months and months and eventually I, I, I painted it out. I painted the, I painted the bird's nest on top of that and then eventually I took it out. 
But then this gave me an idea to do a large paintings of things that I find that I love that intrigue me. It could be a little skull, could be just completely different than what I've done before. Hmm. And and turn it into an equalization, which is a painting without a focal point. Yeah, yeah. See? Yeah. Yeah. So so um that's how that's how my mind works. One thing will lead to another and then that will captivate me for I don't know, maybe I don't know how long that would take. But that's an idea that's these these like thought bubbles are floating all over me right now. Wow. And Man, that, me too. You're seriously inspiring me to I don't well, know. I, I don't have any ideas yet, but you're <laughs> but you're making my head sort of just spin in a good way. Just all these thoughts going through my head. So I really appreciate that. It's this has been a inspirational conversation. Well, but I want to know a little bit about your studio because you've got a ton of art back there, and I don't think much of it isn't yours. So tell me a little bit about that. Oh gosh. Uh, well, these are all my crazy. Thoughts. I, I call them. They're really thoughts. They're not. Okay. None of them are really fully developed. But I'll start a painting. Well, let, can I show you? Yeah, let me, show me. Let me grab my phone and just walk walk around a little bit, and you can see. Um, so let me see if you can see. Uh, let me turn this camera around so you can. I can see this. I mean, maybe they are all yours. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, they are. So this is uh, this is the the tonal horse painting. You can see the edges in here are all gone. I've, so I limited the color so that I can play with value and edges, you know? Um, so that's one of the horse paintings, right? The other one is over here. Uh, I'll have to turn the light on so you can see. But you see how different it is? Oh, my gosh. That's like a, you're right, totally different artist. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then there's another, and then here's another one. These are, these are all done within the last three days. Four days. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, you that's that's insane. So you work on <laughs> a lot of stuff is, at once then. Yes. Well, on this idea, yeah, I, I, I finished one and I'm like, oh I can't can't wait to see the like the the, the other horse like I showed you is very outlined and very graphic. And like I don't want that. I want to try to see if I can lose the edges and see how what I can get away with. And so I'm doing this one. This doesn't work the way that I want it. Right. Not why I want it yet. Oh, that's and beautiful. This is one where I figure with you know just just uh, um, light, just light and shadow, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here's another one in the woods. Hmm. You see it? Mm-hmm. You see it at all? That one to uh, the left, but of it's, it's gorgeous too. This little one. Yeah. This this is a little Zorn palette. I wanted to see if I can. Do a little Zorn thing. I'm like, what's the big whoop about? Why would you even do a Zorn palette when you have full access? So I did this with a Zorn palette. I'm like, okay, that's now see that's that all one. I do with that. that one with the bird wings. I mean, is she holding the watercolor? Okay, that's the one that kind of threw me off. Like I didn't realize you. Did, I didn't think it was your work. You do you do watercolor as well? I uh, yes. Well, I'm learning to because I I I love watercolor. It gives it some immediacy. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see if there's another there's another little watercolor over here. Do you? So I've often thought about experimenting with watercolor, but I miss the texture. Whenever I start to play with it, I I miss the texture of oil paint. Do you feel that oh, at all, or do you, are you? No, you're totally comfortable going I'm back playing. and forth. Yeah, these these are both watercolors. Watercolor does something that 
oils can't do, and that is it creates some really interesting um, edges, you know, mm. like sharp little wonderful edges that you just like this one. I sat in the woods and did this one from life. I love that. And in love. Thank you. I really like that one too. And this is another series that I have yet to fully explore. I threw a model into the pool and hmm. and uh, what came out was unbelievable, but I haven't done it justice yet. Hmm. And here's, like, here's another little study. Oh man, there's another one. That's my favorite of your series, of, of your work. That series is, yeah, my favorite. Hey, thank you. Um, this, this is one, this is one that is, uh, I'm do, I want to do spring, summer, winter, and fall of a figure like this kind of allegorical thing. That's you know? gorgeous. That has a Thayer kind of feel to it, to me, which I, oh, I wish. I, yeah. I yeah, love, yeah. I love Thayer. So. I do too. I do too. Ah, but it, beautiful it's, boy. Uh, Liam. Yeah. Life. Sleeping. Yeah, but you can see I have gouaches up here and figures and uh, landscapes. You do gouache as and well. I, yeah, I, I I wanted to paint in gouache because I wanted to get ideas down really fast. Mm -hmm. So here's a local tone painting here. That's that's in a watercolor. Of a, a a little beach scene from um, Delaware, and these are five by seven little head studies. I want to do a I want to do a show of a hundred of these little heads. Those are great. Wouldn't that be fun? Mm -hmm. Like little five by sevens. And here's some watercolor ideas where I just those compositional just studies. Mm -hmm. Or just just thought ideas like mm -hmm. equalization, just silhouette. Yeah. Uh, and then, it's nice and then to a, see that kind of stuff. Of I, I need to do more of those, Jeff. I really do. So I thought it's, I saw um, anyway, a picture of your a painting of your wife buried in there somewhere, but maybe I was mistaken. Is that it right there? Adrian. Ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Adrian, um, I did this painting as a demo for for uh, a, a live live session. Or I don't remember what it was. Uh, maybe the Portrait Society. Yeah, that's an online great. thing. Yep, that's beautiful. A real quick thing. Thank you. So I'm all over the place. I'm a schizo. You're yeah. so confused. Look, just <laughs> ask that one. Okay, that's I'm another still... one I didn't think was yours. That's yours too. Yeah. No yeah, just, kidding. Looking for shape and color. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah, you are definitely all over the place. But I think it's your strength. <laughs> yeah. I think it's your strength. You're not afraid to to experiment. That tree painting is oh. unbelievable. How big is Thank that? You. About four by four? Yes, exactly. Okay. This one's fun, Jeff. This is purely, I, I rarely do things that are just purely um, um, just out of my head. Oh, stuff up. no, you didn't it's... make that up. You can't be serious. Yeah. You made that up. Yeah. You made up the figure. The fun thing. Uh, well, the, yeah. I mean, the figure was, uh, I mean, I have so many figurative things that floating around. I could just go back for an arm and for a leg and that kind of thing, you know? Right. But, um, oh, my goodness. That's beautiful. Thank you. But this, I don't know if this is showing up very well. Well, I mean, it's contrast. obviously not super clear, but I think we get an idea. It's gorgeous. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. I, I love this. I, this encourages me to, to, uh, to try 
more experimental things like this. Just I, I love the figure in, in nature, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I haven't really, I haven't exhausted that idea at all yet. I mean, there's, a, there's a lot more to, to play with. Yeah, so back up Anyhow. a little bit. Tell us about your studio. And because this is the new studio that you oh. built, correct? Yeah, 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 so yeah. So tell okay, us about so, your studio and how you designed it, why you designed it the way you did. Okay, let me open up a little window here because uh, Adrian and I bought this property in Pennsylvania. You can look out the window here. It's got three acres, mm. and um, here's, here's the studio. We we it, it so the house was built in 1763. Wow, and uh, it's an original stone house, and a great. And the last owner, she was an avid gardener, so we we fell in love with the property because of the of the uh, the landscape. And so I built two studios, uh, one f- his and her studio. Mm-hmm. Is Adrian probably gets tired of my seventies music after a while, <laughs> so she she didn't want to be in the same studio. But um, but this is an Amish built. Uh, um, what do you call it? Pole barn. It's a pole barn. A thousand square feet um, on one each level. So the top level is the studio. The, the ceiling here is, I wish it's a little bit taller, but it's about 12 feet here. And it slopes back to about uh, 10 feet in the back. Hmm. And then, I, and then uh, we both have the same layout. Downstairs is the, um, is where we have storage and I have a workshop down there to, I do a lot of woodwork and that kind of stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then I built this easel here designed by Daniel Sprick. But um, basically there's a slot in the floor right here mm-hmm. that I can lift that board off and it's on hydraulics that I can drop a big painting into the floor so I can paint a large painting awesome. on the easel. Yeah, so it's kind of fun. So this painting here is about five feet by five feet. And uh, I started this. I think I'm going to change. I'm going to change the ground that she's in. So I, my studio, Adrian's studio is very beautiful and sane. Mine is like a mad scientist took over. Um, it's, <laughs> it's a little very, messy. I'm not going to lie. Chaotic. <laughs> it's very chaotic. And then on top of that, this is the baby pen. <laughs> where Liam comes and stays with me. <laughs> That's the baby cage. <laughs> and my studio is back there. And back here is my guitar collection. I'm not going to lie, I have a, an addiction. That's just half of it. And, and what's, what's cool, so I'll, I'll step back here so you can see looking forward to where my studio is. Yeah. That wall back there. Look at all and... that north light. <laughs> That's great. I didn't. I hadn't planned on showing you my studio. I cleaned up a little bit, but turning back here, what's cool is behind when I open this door, which is right behind uh, in the back of the studio, I look out onto a really cool bamboo forest. Wow, what a gift! Yeah, it's very really, blessed. And you can hear the birds. Yeah, thank you. I feel very blessed. Yeah, it's really an amazing, amazing. I love this. I love the quietness. You know, it's, it's very tranquil for me. Um, in Denver, my studio is really, really great. It's bigger than this. It's more grand, but I have to drive like um, I have to drive 
uh, 20 minutes to get to it. Mm. And here I just, I just walk out, walk out, walk through the yard and get to the studio. So you're maintaining two studios now, one in Denver and one here in Pennsylvania. Right. Two in Denver. You have two in Denver. Right. A, a front studio and a back studio. My experimental studio is where I do my large, crazy stuff at. Mm -hmm. But I, I think more and more we'll probably spend more time here in Pennsylvania. Cause yeah. It's more convenient, you know. Yeah. So we're, we're getting ready to make a trip back to Denver um, for the summer. We spend summer out there. Well, um, thanks for the tour. That's great. Yeah, I really crazy, appreciate that. And it's a beautiful, beautiful space and obviously beautiful work. Um, Thank you. So I just have one final question for you. Um, for those people yeah. who are watching it who might be aspiring artists, what's, mm -hmm. what's the best advice that you can give those people? Oh, gosh. Let's see. What's the best advice I can give a young artist? The number one thing is work really hard, right? Work hard because you, you get, you want to get to where drawing is like breathing to you. You know, it be, it's so second nature that you, you just like breathing. So draw and draw and draw and draw and get your hand eye coordination to be, to be where you don't have to think about it anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the number one thing. The second thing is I've never read, I've never understood thing about painting from reading an art book, believe it or not. I've, I've, the, the principles that what work in a painting has come from my deeper search for what meaning is in life, right? Mm. So from science to spirituality, to religion, to philosophy, I dove into all of it. And I can tell you that one of the number one principle behind every painting that I do is the connection that I was talking to you about a little bit ago in that still life. Yeah. And the second, second thing is that what I derive from nature is that nature is, there's a divine specific in nature that, that everything is unique and specific, right? But our mind wants to generalize everything. Like a leaf is a leaf is a leaf is a leaf. But in fact, a leaf is never the same as any leaf you ever look at. So, Thing, something went off in my head about that, and that, and and it, it tells me that that in every painting, everything is uniquely specific. But you start with a microcosm and you go up all the way up to the macrocosm, which is the design. That has to be interesting too. So the advice is to do a lot of reading and a lot of of, of digging and searching, and never just assume if somebody gives you a fast and quick rule about painting, make sure you understand, you ask them what they mean by that. Explain it to where you understand it fully, why that is true, whatever it is that you're saying. Just don't say, well, things in the back are cool and things in front are warm. Well, why? You know, and then you, you soon find out that, that it's not always the same and then break those rules as do a lot of reading. And one of the things that saved me was I kept, I, I never had expectations about where my career should be. I, I was so locked into just enjoying painting and whatever money I made was enough, you know? 
So I I was very frugal. I was I never lived above my 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 means in a sense, you know. So keep your life simple so that you can you can uh, focus on your on your artwork and don't have these ridiculous expectations. You know. Yeah. Thank you very much. It was a great mm -hmm. conversation, Kwong. I really am honored to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much for for coming on. Oh, thank you for asking me to be on. I was, was an honor to, and, and really enjoy what to talk with you, Jeff. I know that we probably can have dinner and have, talk about a million other things. When we, uh, we should do that sometime. Yeah, maybe next year at the Portrait Society. Thanks for tuning in to the Undraped Artist Podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. And if you could, leave a comment or review. That really helps the channel. Please share the show with your friends. And if you're feeling generous, consider a monthly donation at theundrapedartist.com. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next week.